the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good Saturday afternoon to you. Hope you're having as good a day as I am. About this time, I have a college graduate on my hands. Goodness gracious, live time flies. Parents, if you don't know it yet, I mean, those of you who've got the little ones who are keeping you up all night, enjoy those times. They don't last very long, and then you forget about them. Uh, but yeah, I've, uh, I, obviously, I'm not in the studio today. I am in uh, Charleston celebrating graduation with my daughter and my wife and my youngest daughter. And hopefully you're having just as good a day. Hopefully you've got outside a little bit. I um, it's uh, it's the time of the year to get outside. It is so nice out there. Gonna get hot, but hey, that's when you just start doing stuff early in the morning, late in the evening, or at night. Night fishing, hey, fish bite at night too. But anyway, I appreciate you tuning in the show, and we'll. Um, <laughs> Apologies to those of you who were listening last week that wanted to hear Patrick Walters and I talking. Uh, figured out that when we 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 had to record that conversation because Patrick's obviously was headed to Texas to uh, for the the Texas Toyota Fest or whatever they call it now uh, with Bass, and uh, so we got a hold of him beforehand. And, and what we did is we record those those conversations and we just saved it to the file. We didn't go back in and clip the front end and the back end because we talked beforehand a little about some other things. Then we talk at the end of the conversation, and, and we just forgot to go back. So for those of you who listened last Saturday and heard the blank space and then heard me start talking about a phone number, that's, I apologize for that. Uh, we fixed that this week, and we're going to hear from Patrick uh, after the bottom of the hour. So it, it is a great conversation, and Patrick's just a, a great kid. A kid, he's a young adult now, and... Um, and, you know, hey, if you're like me and you, you, you tune into a little bit of fishing, you have the, the BPT is on Smith Lake this weekend. The FLW is over on Chickamauga this weekend. And Bass is at Lake Fork. So uh, if, if I was at, in the studio today or at home or whatever, I would have three screens up and I'd be watching fishing on something and trying to figure out who to uh, have the – the uh, sound levels on for that'd be the only problem is is checking which one you want to hear the sound for. But yeah, it's a it's a it's a busy weekend in in fishing, and you wonder if you know in the past when you had FLW and bass, you won every once in a while you'd have a tournament on top of another one, maybe two a year. But it seems like this year, and maybe it was because it's the first year, and and they're working on. You know their schedule for next year and all that. Maybe, maybe after this initial year with the BPT, maybe they'll all play nice together and schedule their tournaments. Not where all three of them are all fishing on the same weekend. It makes it tough to really enjoy. You know, if you're if you're watching Brian Latimer over on FLW, or you're watching Patrick or Brandon or some other guy on Bass, or you're trying to keep up with Andy Montgomery and. Anthony Gagliardi and in my left. It really, when you have these 
piled up. They they take away from the enjoyment of of, of watching the fishing tournaments. So anyway, just my commentary. Yeah, it was funny. I was trying to figure out that word commentary. I was riding the tractor last week and I, I wanted to do a commentary, and the only thing that came to mind was obituary. <laughs> I was like, no, no, Walter Conkright did not do obituaries. He did some other word. I could not remember what commentary it is. So that's my commentary on the three fishing tournaments scheduling their stops all over each other. Uh, let's see what I want to get into. Well, let's do the calendar of events because I got something I want to talk about in the second segment. It's going to take longer than five minutes. So brought to you by Visit Anderson Green Pond Landing and Event Center. We have a cool, a really cool place right down here in Clinton, South Carolina called the Woods Runner School of Self-Reliance. Uh, he's been on this show. I need to have him back on. Goodness gracious, if I have some open time, I will. They have all sorts of gatherings and and you know, classes and, and fun things. They're, they are having um, May the 11th and 12th. It's a two-day course. It is the Wilderness First Aid Certification. This is for those of you who, who want to know what to do and maybe you're a trout uh a scout troop leader or you lead group hikes or something this is this is something you may want to do uh so in the case of emergency you know how to handle all this stuff but, but it goes on the 18-hour interactive course is designed for anyone who spends time in the wild or for anyone who has an interest in improving their medical skills class size is strictly limited to 20 students which means you need to go ahead and figure out if you can get in or not for class bring a comfortable chair clothing suitable for the conditions a notebook and a headlamp Day and night scenarios are a critical learning tool for this material. All classes are conducted rain or shine. Come prepared. The curriculum covers basic anatomy and physiology, patient assessment skills, recognizing and treating soft tissue injuries, muscle and bone injuries, head and spinal injuries, thermal injuries, recognizing and treating shock, medical emergencies in the wild, bite stings and envenomations. That's snake bite for you and I. Environmental exposure, emergency can carries and improvised lifters lifts and more food and lodging there's primitive camping available on site for this course at no additional charge water is available on site meals are not provided so get a hold of the woodrunner skill of of uh, self-reliance and uh and take part and if you go to their facebook page or their website they have a bunch of of events scattered all through may into june in fact <laughs> coming up here shortly they got a Woods Runner Shindig Low Country Bowl coming up at the end of May, end of June. I will be there. Trust me. If there's food involved, I'll be there more than likely and other than having to spend the night in the tent. But anyway, that's something you can do. Go to their website. They got a bunch of stuff going on. And um and like I said, I have to get him back on there. He he, he was a really good guest. Continuing on with the Department of Natural Resources fishing rodeos. We covered through May the 4th. Now we're covering May the 11th. So on May the 11th, you can take your pick of Draper Wildlife Management Area in York County, Forest Hill Subdivision in Cotton County, the Jimmy Shea Memorial Fishing Rodeo at Lick Fork Lake, Edgefield County, Lake Cooley in Spartanburg County, Goose Creek Rodeo in Berkeley County, Lake Thickety in Cherokee County, Lake Warren State Park in Hampton County. And those are all morning, like 9 to 12, 9 to 1. Um, and fishing rodeos, if you don't know it, you show up. They have stocked ponds for you to fish in. It's limited to 16 and under, 15 and under, 5 to 15-year-old participants. Parents, you are welcome, but you cannot fish. 
In fact, parents should probably need to be there. Uh, they're held rain or shine, and um, they do provide some tackle and some bait, but they encourage you to bring your own. And you do need to go online and pre-register for the rodeos uh, because they will close up to 72 hours prior to the event. So, fishing rodeos. May 9th through 11th. I had to. I saw this one. I had to do it. Does anybody know what Batesburg Leesville is famous for? Sheely's Barbecue. <laughs> well, it's also famous for the South Carolina Poultry Festival. One morning in 1986, members of the Leesville Merchants Association flocked together to hatch the concept of a town festival. It was Sarah Sheely, famous throughout the region for extraordinary fried chicken. This thing is so shot up with puns. Served in her Batesville Leesville restaurant, who courageously proposed the development of a poultry festival for Lexington County community. And so you can go down there on May 9th, 10th, and 11th. They said it transforms itself into a population of over 100,000 during that weekend. But uh, Hardy Blend of Southern Hospitality and True American Spirit, and they got uh, all sorts of fun things going on. There are scholarships of all things. Um, and they say they proudly host the number one world's best chicken cooking contest. Which, okay, I'm in for that. No problem at all. But um, check it out. South Carolina Poultry Festival, Batesville, Batesburg, Leesville, South Carolina. That's over between uh, uh, west of Lexington, out towards um, oh, Edgefield and that area out through there. So just a good family time to go enjoy some fried chicken. And that's your calendar of events. And when we come back, we're going to cover, we got river grants for Saluda River Access. Snakes, summer rules. I like this one. And they got an article about Alvin Taylor, the retiring director of Sacon Park Natural Resources. Hang on through the break. More woods and water, South Carolina on the other side. Welcome back to Woods and Water, South Carolina. I don't know what happened, but this article is from March of 15. Well, that's a reprint or a misprint or something. Anyway, we'll cover that one. <laughs> we might have to investigate that one a little further. And I love this. This is uh, somebody sent this to me, I think, two years ago. And uh, it's called Summer Rules. It's just really funny. And, and a lot of you um, probably grew up this way. And a lot of you probably ask your kids about this every day, but uh, it's it's pretty cool. Take a, take a listen to this. Okay. Summer rules. Have you, one, made your bed, two, brushed your teeth, three, brushed your hair, four, gotten dressed, had breakfast? Okay. Those are have yous. Those are, you know, those are what you should do every day. But anyway, it's summer rules. Plus, it goes additional here. Have you read for 20 minutes? 20 minutes of reading. How about an additional 20 minutes of writing or coloring? How about clean up one room in the house? Not their room. That ought to be a given. Clean up another room in the house. Have you played outside for 20 minutes? You go walk the dog, you know, whatever. Sometimes I'll, that one for me is letting them sit down and swing outside. That's, that's good outdoor activity. Have you made, built, or done something creative? How about have you helped someone else in the family? Have you helped mom or dad? And here's the kicker. 
after all of this, then you can use your electronics. I like that one. You know, just gives them a break from the uh, from the social media, the texting. Gosh, the texting just drives me up a wall. Okay, enough of that. I'm not going to get started there. Um, gosh, stuff I want to get to. Okay, Director Alvin Taylor. This is a news release from uh, the Department of Natural Resources. And if you read the state newspaper article, it said Director Taylor, Taylor quitting. And it's interesting that I cannot find that story on the state newspaper website. But it was a, it was an article by the state that says, South Carolina Department of Natural Resources, Taylor quitting. Uh, no, Director Taylor is retiring after 42 years with the Department of Natural Resources. He's retiring. He's not quitting anything. And, and I, I'm still waiting for a reply from the state newspaper. <laughs> I fired off a little angry little thing to him saying, you know, he deserves better than that. And uh, and your own story mentions that he's retiring, but your headline says he's quitting. So, got a beef with. I said there's a reason that Prince dying, and and you're causing it yourself. But anyway, uh, yes. After a long and storied career spanning 42 years with the Department of Natural Resources, including seven as its director, uh, Director Alvin Taylor has decided to retire. You know, the Department of Natural Resources was one of my first sponsors here. They are still a sponsor. They have increased their sponsorship of this show. And I appreciate it. One of the one of the honors that's been is getting to know Director Taylor. You know, over the years at ICAST, at various Department of Natural Resources uh, meetings, uh, the latest one right up here at Sassafras Mountain when uh, that was ribbon cutting was held on that. But uh, it's been an honor getting to know Director Taylor, and he's going to be missed. He's just a likable guy. It says Taylor leaves behind a legacy of lofty accomplishments after helping the agency recover from historically low budgets and annual downsizing. Uh, a few of his accomplishments, and you've heard it here. Under his watch, the DNR has built a youth shooting sports program that is really second to none, including clay target sports and archery almost from the ground up. The program now reaches more than 44,000 students in schools and clubs across the state. Just last year, the Clay Target Sports Championship Trail of Skeet, Trap, and Sporting Clays established a Governor's Cup top prize to recognize the best in high school target sports. Besides mentoring and safety and conservation offered to persistence, shooters have the opportunity to compete for more than $125,000 college scholarship money through this program. Taylor has also worked to protect more land for the agency's wildlife management area and heritage preserve programs, totaling more than 1.1 million acres. That can be used by all the citizens of South Carolina, including hunters and anglers. During his tenure, the DNR, uh, SCDNR, took on the job of protecting the Watery Heritage Preserve, made up of Cooks Mountain and the old Goodwill Plantation in Lower Richmond County, as well as the Liberty Hill Wildlife Management Area on Lake Watery. The agency worked with the National Wild Turkey Federation to build the Palmetto Shooting Complex, where some of those target sports takes place. Uh, which is a world-class sporting clays facility in Edgefield, followed by the Watery Range and eight-station sporting clays rifle and pistol range alongside the Watery River between Columbia and Sumter. Just this year, Talpines Wildlife Management Area along the South Saluda River in northern Greenville County was dedicated as the newest property, offering hunters, anglers, hikers, and wildlife watchers more opportunities to head outdoors in the upstate. Uh, it goes on uh, to talk about some of his roles. Uh, 
He most notably led the South Carolina Quail Council as chairman of the steering committee and the agency's renewed efforts to restore bobwhite quail in South Carolina's in sustainable, huntable numbers. The effort already has produced success and offers much more hope for the future of grassland birds in South Carolina. So, upon your retirement, Director Taylor, I hope you have a great time. He mentions grandkids in there. Boy, those grandkids. I've, I've known a few of my friends who do stuff like this for grandkids, and they don't seem to regret it. So, Congratulations, Director Taylor, and, and much happiness and all on your retirement. <clears throat> I have another article here on DNR, wanting to move his headquarters. But one of the things that, that jumped out at me as I was leafing through some stuff this week that I had uh, stacked up was, uh, you know, feral hogs. It's their problem here in South Carolina, problem all across the southeast. But this was an interesting article that ran across my desk, literally, uh, Texas is losing the war on feral hogs. And what was interesting about this, because just a couple of weeks ago, I was down at the Nash, at uh, Savannah River site, and one of the guys I rode around with during that turkey hunt was a, a biologist. And, and the U.S. Forest Service, their role at, at Savannah River site is really feral hog control. And they shoot, I don't know, they shoot, capture, or whatever, over 2,000 hogs a year down there. And so we were talking about it. He came a He's actually the one that that talked a little bit about this before this article came across. And this is from Wide Open Spaces. But it goes into some detail that he talked about, too. He said, despite years of intense hunting and trapping, Texas is losing the war on feral hogs. Since the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department first began removing feral hogs in 1982. So what's that? 82, 92, 2002, 30, 40. Getting close to 40 years now. Uh, the Lone Star State has dramatically increased, and now there are more than 10 times as many hogs in the state as there were then. Unfortunately, the evidence is clear. Texas is losing the war on feral hogs. Now, yeah, they're losing the war on feral hogs, but when you're charging two to $3,000 to go fly in a helicopter to shoot feral hogs, and you're charging big money to go nighttime hunting of feral hogs, which we're doing a little bit here in South Carolina and Georgia now, uh, it's becoming a business. And they're not interested in really eradicating them because the really only way to eradicate a hog is to trap it and to trap the whole group, which is what we were talking about down at Savannah River. And and, and he was talking about how smart the hogs get to the trapping efforts, uh, to the shooting efforts and all. So it's pretty interesting here. But Texas has very permissive regulations regarding hog hunting. And hunters may pursue hogs all year long with no bag limit. They may be hunted over bait, trapped, hunted at night from aircraft. As a result, get this, it is estimated that over three-quarters of a million hogs are taken by hunters, trappers, and TPWD each year in Texas. Unfortunately, it's not enough. And this, this is a staggering little bit of um, uh, number crunching here. Even though hunters and trappers are killing approximately 30% of the hog population in Texas annually, hog numbers are still growing by about 20% each year. Biologists and wildlife managers estimate that 70% of the hogs in the state will have to be killed each year just to maintain the population, and even more must be killed to actually start reducing their numbers. Now, it is a fact that hogs can reproduce quicker than, uh, you know, if they're under pressure. So, yes, you read that right. Seven out of every ten hogs in the state must be killed just to keep the numbers where they are now. So why are wild hog populations experiencing such explosive growth in this portion of the United States? And you could say that a little bit about South Carolina. We, we have a hog problem here, and there's no way to keep them in check. The main reason is that hogs breed almost as quick as rabbits. 
They become sexually mature before they are a year old and can produce as many as three litters of six to eight piglets every year. Another reason they are difficult to control is because feral hogs are very intelligent and resilient animals. They quickly respond to hunting and trapping pressure by changing their habits or just leaving the area for greener pastures when things get too hot. Since they are known to roam over extremely long distances in search of food, this makes long-term hog control measure difficult and complicated. Landowners and biologists have been relatively successful in controlling feral hog populations in small areas. However, they are usually short-term successes and only last until a new hog sounder moves in and the cycle starts all over again. While wild hogs are fun to hunt and provide some very tasty table fare, they cause all sorts of problems. They're rooters. So they go after roots, acorns, tubers, other plants, and they eat literally anything they can find or catch. Crops, snakes, insects, ground-nesting birds, turkeys, which we've seen a huge decline over the past 10 to 15 years in the southeast. And even deer fawns are not safe from a hungry hog. Goes on, in addition to competing directly with deer for food, they damage vegetation that quail and turkey need to thrive. They're also carriers of nasty diseases, and there have even been cases of drinking water sources becoming contaminated by droppings from feral hogs. Some have established that Texas is losing the war on feral hogs. That's clearly a bad thing. However, what can be done about it? Hog hunting and trapping are already going full bore in Texas. Uh, poison's been touted. It was one potential way to turn things around the war on feral hogs. However, the use of the Dr. Kurt Vercotteran came on and talked about the big um, uh, hog poison they were coming up with, the sodium nitrate poison, that kind of fizzled because of a delivery problem. So <laughs> what do we do until a permanent lasting solution developed? We'll have to deal with hogs the old-fashioned way by hunting and trapping as many as we can. So hit the woods and start doing your part in the world on feral hogs. Now, it's interesting that you do have a business of hog hunting, and when it becomes a business, as much as the farmers complain, they uh, they do have a vested interest in keeping those things around. So, But it's funny, at the same time that article hit, there's another article from Missouri. I think it's Missouri. I have to look back and see, but I think it's Missouri. <clears throat> they want people to quit shooting hogs. That... You know, it's it's they realize the problem in Missouri too, and so it'll be interesting. But yeah, Savannah Riverside to kill over two thousand a year, and they're not even making a dent in that population. So it's uh, another problem, and it's interesting the correlation between that and the turkey decline, which I think not many people talk about the hogs and the effects they have on the turkey populations. So anyway, interesting. We'll uh, we'll have to see what uh, what comes of that one. After the break, you're going to listen to Patrick Walters and I, who is leading the Angler of the Year and Rookie of the Year on the Bass Elite side. You're going to hear the interview that should have played last weekend. Enjoy it. I'll be back with a short wrap-up at the end of the show. Well, the stars aligned finally after, I don't know, four or five years of, of being around this guy. But uh, he is a rookie on the Elite Series this year. He's a South Carolina native from Somerville, South Carolina. And, man, Patrick, we had a great time on Santee the other day. 
Yes, we did, Roger. I mean, thanks for the phone call. I mean, I'm, sure. I'm happy to be here with you guys today. You know, uh, I wouldn't miss it for the world. Yeah. And uh, especially after uh, last Sunday, I figured hey, it, it it can't get any better. <laughs> That's exactly right. Man, what a what a year so far. I mean, going into last fall, you were triple qualified through the Opens. Um, then we had the MLF break off from Bass. You were sitting in the catbird seat. You got the phone call, and everybody knew you were going to the Elite Series. And man, you have you have made yourself front and center. Well, uh, that was that was a lot of drama that went on <laughs> in that month prior to get my invitation with the MLF thing, and everybody was talking about you know they're they're somebody's got to fill their shoes. But sure. the way I looked at it the whole time was, hey, I'm bringing my own shoes to Absolutely. the dance. Absolutely, I'm not going there to fill anybody's shoes. It was. No matter what, I was going to try to get to that level, regardless if the split didn't happen. And uh, it, it's been a phenomenal year so far. We're, what we've done is just kind of rolled that momentum over from the Opens, from the College Series. And you couldn't script this year off any better so far, you know. Starting with St. John's, we had a great tournament. And then look, moving on to Lanier. And it, it, it's hard to beat when you have two tournaments in your home state. Oh, no. back <laughs> when we At Hartwell and then Winyah. It, it made it a lot easier on that drive home. It's kind of like so, cheating. <laughs> it was. It, it was definitely a little bit of some familiar water that I was happy to fish. Yeah. And the tournament didn't set up necessarily how I wanted to, especially Winyah Bay. I was really hoping the fish were going to be more pre-spawn or hard or post-spawn. Okay. But just that time, just that time of year, it, it, it Hit the dead in the spawn, and you got to fish a little bit di- different. I knew after the first day of practice at Winyah, I didn't really have a chance to win. That uh, all I needed to do was just put myself in contention and just fish what I could fish and, and try to make it. And I was surprised at how low a weight it took actually at Winyah. I thought it was going to fish a lot better than that, but that just shows you tidal water during the spawn. It can it can be pretty tough. Now you made the run all the way from Georgetown to the Cooper River, right? I did. It was actually. Over four days of fishing the tournament on, on Winyah Bay, I ran over 850 miles round trip. In a boat. Was, in a boat. That's like going from South Carolina to Okeechobee. <laughs> it's a, it was a haul. Uh, but, man, you got the boat for it. Oh, I'm telling you, that that Falcon and Yamaha, it, it just it barely sips the gas. But to tell you the truth, the main thing was, was, the, was the boat. You know, I, it's a F215. It's a 21 foot boat, and it really handles that big water well, especially when you have to cross Winyah Bay and then the Charleston Harbor, Harbor. and you're passing your chest and passing yacht boats. I mean, there's yeah. 30 foot cruisers. Then you pass the Yorktown, and there's a cruise ship <laughs> coming out. It's like, yeah, this probably is not the place for a bass boat. <laughs> no. But uh, which which amazes me that you got to run all that way down there. Um, <clears throat> okay, St. John's, man, what a great way to start off the year. Fourth place finish. Did you have those expectations going into that tournament? You know, every tournament, looking preseason, yeah, you have those expectations. You're like, hey, I got to catch them. You think you can catch them? And then uh, I actually have fished two college tournaments there previous to that tournament. And uh, during during those two tournaments, actually, we fished nothing but shell beds. We fished the main river. Okay. Um, it was a little bit colder time of year, so I had some expectations going into that tournament. I was going to be doing something completely different. And then uh, as the weeks kind of got closer and the tournament was coming upon us, I kept looking at the weather, and you could see that the forecast was going to be good. And then we had a full moon coming up, 
Yep. And so I was like, well, you know what? And I, I probably need to swing for the fence a little bit and go find some more spawning fish. Mm-hmm. Try to get away from the river fish because the river fish are definitely more pre-spawn, wintertime kind of stuff. And I, I had a horrible practice. And those are usually <laughs> the ones that you do well in and you don't expect it. I've heard the first day of practice, I had three bites. The second day, I had five bites. And then the final day of practice, I had two bites. So uh, I was I was just going fishing during right. the tournament. I said, hey, I found some fish on the bed, and whatever happens, happens. Okay. And uh, I started on day one. I caught three fish on the bed, and it's like 1130, and I said, man, I got to do something different. And I went to one little area I had one bite in, and I caught 13 pounds. I was like, hey, man, this is pretty good compared <laughs> to practice. And then you come back, and at the end of the day, you're like, man, these guys caught them. Yeah, they did. And so uh, day two, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go hammer on that hole a little bit better. And then ended up catching like 23 pounds. Yep. And I was like, well, day three, I better go do the same. And then caught 32. It was, and that third day, I'm telling you, that would be a day I remember for the rest of my life. Uh, the the sad thing was the guy at Rapala, J.D., he, right. that morning, he said, Patrick, let's put a GoPro on your boat. And I said, man, J.D., I'm telling you, I don't want to put GoPro oh, on your boat. No. That's probably bad luck. I don't, I don't want to chance it. <laughs> and we didn't put a camera on the boat that day. But, hey, we caught him, so that's all that matters. Exactly. Uh, <clears throat> wow, yeah, that was um... – that was an interesting, interesting fisher. I'd never been down that way. Uh, and to follow you around for a little bit on Sunday was really cool, except when you started off across the big water and chop, and I was like, yeah, we're not following him. Oh, my gosh. It's, <laughs> to tell you the truth, and I didn't realize this until the other day, but I've had two top tens so far this season, and they were both but, the tidal, body of, tidal yes. bodies of water. Yes. Um, but that, that, that fishery down there was way different, and the wind on that final day was, it was brutal. Yeah, I, I didn't even want to be running in it. It was that bad. Yeah. But uh, to tell you the truth, the main thing with the first part of the season, too, was I feel like there's been some error in my fishing a little bit where I, I haven't executed to 100%. So I can tell there's room for growth, and that's okay. what gets me excited because yeah. I'm not fishing flawlessly yet. You know, if I was fishing flawlessly and everything's been perfect, sure. then it's like you got nowhere to go but down, kind of. Uh, I'm kind of really looking forward to this because, hey, there is a lot of room for improvement, and there's a lot of things I'd like to change. And so it's uh, I'm really looking forward to the second half of the season and just kind of getting everything lined up and just, just going fishing. You know, I'm not worried about yesterday and what happened the day before, and I'm not worried about tomorrow. I'm fishing just one day at a time and worried about today. You know, you're, you're not to jinx it or anything, but it's a fact. You're leading angler of the year. You're leading rookie of the year. And you said something the other day about Rookie of the Year, I heard somebody interviewing you, and you talked about that Rookie of the Year, you have a one-shot chance at it. That's true. It's a feather in your cap that nobody can take away from you. You know, you're only a rookie one time in your life. And so my goal this year was, to tell you the truth, it was to shoot for AOI. If I can get Angler of the Year, I'm going to get ROI. Sure. And it's uh, these guys are just that good. You can't really lay up and just try to be consistent and just try to shoot for ROI because if you do that, somebody's going to pass you. <laughs> that's just that's the name of the game. Everybody's a sportsman. Everybody's this is what they're doing. This is their profession. So yeah. these guys are good, and uh, every tournament we're going out there, we're just going to catch them as much as I can catch that day. I'm not fishing against anybody else. It's just what can Patrick catch today, <laughs> and it's keeping the foot on the gas. And you mentioned something right there. This is a profession because when you and I were fishing the other day, we were talking about this swing you're fixing to take out to um, Texas and then Oklahoma, and then you're actually fishing an open. And I said, now, why are you fishing an open? 
and you came back with, look, this is what I do. I'm a professional bass fisherman. It's a tournament. I can win some money here. I can improve, and and this is what I'm gonna do. That mindset, I think, is is what surprised me the most about our fishing together and, and catching up the other day. It it really is. You know, a, a lot of guys they they'll fish just one trail or this, but the bad thing is I can't fish anything local at home anymore. You know, due to rules and stuff like once you fish a big time tournament, you can't fish that stuff. So right. For me, I, I plan to fish for a living. I, I want to do this 365 days if I can, and it, it makes the sponsors happy. So it gives me an extra chance to make the classic, and it just it gives you that extra advantage to say make a little more money if you can catch them. But the guys in the opens, I'm telling you, they're not slouching. They're, mm-hmm. It's harder to win an open than it is an elite series probably. It's just when you're fishing against 200 guys and they're the best local six on each body of water. It, it keeps you on your edge. And that's what I love. It's just going to new bodies of water, learning a different type of fishery, and just keeping that competitiveness there. It's fishing as much as we possibly can. That's great. Okay, you got Texas Fest, or Texas, the next one. Yeah, the TTBC, the Toyota. Yeah, the old Bass Classic, yeah. And and then you get a run-up to Grove, Oklahoma. What are you looking at for those two tournaments? I'm thinking those are actually going to be some really fun tournaments. The good thing is I'm a bank feeder. I love to fish shallow, and I've kind of looked at the forecast a little bit. There's been some rain going on out west, and so I think the the lakes are going to be rising out there a little bit, and so the the fish are going to stay shallow. And that's my goal is uh, to go out there and just fish my strength. You know, I, I don't mind fishing deep, and I will fish deep if there's a good bit of fish out there. Okay. But anytime I can fish shallow, I'm going to take advantage of that. Something there's going to be a good shad spawn going on. There's going to be some fish on the bed at Lake Fork, and there's going to be some big fish caught. Uh, be on the lookout. I think there's going to be a couple ten pound fish caught. Oh wow! Now, hopefully, I'm one of them. Yeah. It's uh, but hey, it's fishing. You you truly <laughs> never know. And then when we go to Fort Gibson, I think it's going to fish more of like a river fishery. Okay. I, I, I'm going to say 15 to say like a 19 pound bag is going to be a good day. Okay. Like it might take 17 pounds to win that tournament, and. Tell you the truth, it, it, I kind of like the way it's setting up. <laughs> I, I like to junk fish, and I like to run in the back of a pocket, and there would be one log that's in a little bit deeper water up on the back of a one-foot flat. That's okay. the kind of stuff I like to fish, just ugly stuff where my dad always said, if they could take me to a mud hole and we'd do good because <laughs> I, I'll just fish anything. Like uh, If it's in front of me, I'm going to fish it, so kind of just fishing off-the-wall stuff, just in the dirt. That's the stuff I like to fish. All right. Now, when you run in, here's a, here's a question for you. When you run into the back of the pocket and there's that one ugly log in there, what are you going to throw on that log? It really depends, mm-hmm. especially on time of year. So I'm, I'll probably start out with like a top water, whether okay. it's a buzz bait or a walking top water. And uh, if they're really eating, I'm going to flip a jig on it. And then if, if they're not really flipping the jig, sometimes I'll switch to the Texas rig soft plastic, like a brush hog or a Z crawl, something like that. And then, of course, if you have to get a bailout, you always have the wacky worm in your back pocket. <laughs> Just in case. You, hey, Roger, you don't know about that worm, do you? No, I have no clue what a, a wacky What's that? <laughs> it's like we got down there on, on uh, Mulcher the other day, and, and uh, you were trying to tell me how to fish, and he's like, you got to be skinning trees. I'm like, do what? He says, you got to be skinning trees. In other words, the wacky worm got to hit the tree, slide down the trunk into the water, and that's where the fish are. Oh, yeah. If you're not skinning bark, you're not catching fish. That's just how it is here. You know, with the, the water's so clear, and there's only such a little shadow on those trees sometimes. And those fish will just be hanging tight to it. They're spawning it. They're hanging around those trees. 
And it's just got to be as subtle as it possibly can. And that's why if the wind really picks up and it gets cloudy, you can go out there and fish a spinner bait or, you know, flip a jig around. But uh, it's hard to beat that spinning rod. It is. It catches some big fish. Oh, we caught some good ones, and I, I caught on. And you were a great teacher. I appreciate the the patience. Uh, but it was like I, I told myself, I said, "Dad, come! I'm hanging up so many times." But really, if you weren't hanging up a few times, you weren't fishing in the right place. That's exactly right. There, there are so many roots around those trees. You really just kind of got to be up in there. Hey, and you saw it. Sometimes you can get hung up, and he's going to come grab it off that <laughs> off that root for you. I kid you not, folks. We were fishing. Patrick's on front of the boat and, and, and he skips that wacky worm up against it and it was just, it was an exposed stump, wasn't it? I mean it wasn't a tree. Oh yeah, it was just it was just wide open. Yeah. And uh he says, oh, I'm hung up and, and we were talking or doing something, you were trying to flip it off, and the fish took the worm off the tree stump as you were hung up. <laughs> and Patrick's like huh, I <laughs> got was, one. <laughs> that definitely caught me off guard. <laughs> it did. It did. Fun times. Uh, while we're on the subject of Santee, talk just a little bit, because I had never been down there. Such a diverse, I mean, we were fishing on Sandy Bottom, then we were in back in lily pads, and that's where you grew up. So it's kind of your home waters. Talk just a minute about Santee. Yeah, Santee is definitely my home pond compared to, like, say, the Cooper River. That's where I've spent majority of my time. And what I love about Santee, it has so many different faces. There's so many different, and what I mean by faces is, there's so many, the cartography is so different there where you can go up in the swamp above the 95 bridge and it's just a flooded forest and you're flipping trees all day. And then you go down the lake a little bit and you're fishing isolated trees and you're fishing lily pads and gator grass. And then you can go out and start fishing depressions. You can fish bluffs, ditches, brush piles. I probably already named everything three times in a row, <laughs> but, uh, it's just, there's so many different things you can do out there. And it's truly just figuring the subtle things out. Sometimes it's just an irregularity, which is more popular than, than not. Where, say, if you're fishing a forest of trees and there's every tree looks the same, if there's one tree that, say, it's broke off or it's, it's kind of fallen over, it's at a 45-degree angle, yeah. that's the kind of stuff you get bent on. And you can see when we were there, it was trees that were, say, just a little bit a little bit deeper than the other trees around them. So there's always something a little bit different and some variables kind of looking at, but that's truly why I love Santee because the, it's got such fertile water and the fish can grow so big there. There's so many different ways to fish it and there's just such large fish there. It's hard to not like it. And if you're not catching, you can always take pictures of ospreys and alligators. <laughs> oh, and I checked that snake out. It was really, it was really weird, people. We were, we were fishing. Like I said, we're fishing these isolated uh, cypress trees and all, and we were on one, and I don't I don't know if we were just kind of drifting by it or whatever. We are kind of close, and I kind of looked around the edge of the tree, and there's a bump there, and I'm like, what is that? And turn it, there's a snake looking at us. But I, and When he said looking at us, it was two feet from the boat. Yes. It was a little closer than I like to be. And it was, you know, it was giving us the tongue lash and the look at all. But, Patrick, I did go back and look at the eyes. It was non-venomous, so... And it's just a brown water snake. Was it really? Yeah, yeah, I was surprised. I, I, I didn't trust it, though. No, no. no. Every snake's been this for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all we all talked about when um, when the split came, uh, bass obviously learned some lessons or, or decided they were going to do more for the anglers than ever before. And you have been, I guess, with your finishes, a rookie, uh, just your personality is, is a great one. 
you really enjoyed a lot of coverage, not only from bass, because they've been to your house and filmed. Um, you've had wired to fish there. You've had it. Talk a little bit about some of the exposure you've gotten and some of the things you're looking forward to. It tell you the truth, it kind of caught me off guard. You, you know, I've always, my favorite thing about fishing is I like to be the underdog. You, nobody knows who you are. You just come out of the blue and you just catch some fish and like, who was that guy? <laughs> the bad thing this year, they've, they've kind of took that element away from me. They've, uh, and I can't thank them enough for that. It, it's really been a great year with publicity this year with bass. They, they, they really have that fire kind of lit under them where they're going to make everybody who's fishing bass right now great. They're going to make them a star. It's, everybody's got a story. And they're looking to tell it now. And that's what's great is they're giving all 75 guys coverage. Every day they're sending them photos. And it's truly without them, we wouldn't be where any of us are at today. They're, they're helping us do that. And with Wired to Fish coming to the house, we actually did a shoot with Rapallo and Santee Cooper. And that was a great time. It, it was eye-opening kind of seeing how the behind-the-scenes stuff works in the industry. You know, how do you make a – how do you make these – fishing videos, the promotion videos, and the how-to videos. And actually, here's a little sneak peek. I actually got to film a Zona show oh. with Mark Zona himself on Santee. It's going to be coming out January, and uh, it was it was a good day. It was about like me and you had, Roger. Okay. There was a lot of set in the, there was a lot of set in the hook. That's good. That is really good. And I actually, I watched uh, a Wired to Fish uh, video with you and Spinnerbaits the other night. Well, very. Oh, they released that? Yeah. I haven't even seen that one yet. Yeah. I mean, it was good. I'm not going to go around with a bunch of three eights and, and, uh, you know, spinner baits and rig them in the boat and different blades and all, but I mean, it was fun watching it. I'm sure a lot of people out there, if you go to Wired to Fish and you want to watch Patrick and spinner bait and he'll five minutes of the best. Tell you the truth, Roger, I'm about to go check that video out. I have not seen it yet. <laughs> we, we did a bunch of videos when they were here. I guess they weren't going to tell me when they were. They uh, they aired them, but it it really is something spectacular to shoot those videos because, tell you the truth, I feel like a lot of times you learn more about your techniques and how you fish and better ways to approach something when you teach it. That's when exactly when you right. slow down and, and you talk about it and you break it down, you're mainly what it is is you're just saying it out loud. And so you kind of see it from a different perspective. And when I'm talking with you, when we're fishing those trees, it's, uh, I can get pretty impatient sometimes. It sounds that way, but it's my main goal is, hey, all I want you to do is I want you to catch every fish you can. So, uh, you know, I kind of make it like, hey, it's a it's a team effort. Sure. It always is, and that's what this sport is in general as well. It's bass fishing. You really can't do this alone. You have to have a support group. And Roger, I can't thank you enough for that. Oh, you man. have come to a very many of the tournament support, Dennis and I, and following me now on the elites and following Brandon. And uh, bringing that media and help us and that, helping us out with that, sure. that really does mean a lot. And just having everybody behind you, it, it truly does help and, a lot. And it, it it goes far deeper now. Your your mom and dad, um, you know, they are all in for you, and it's good to see them because they follow you around too. Oh, they do. They, they really do. They have been the most supportive parents that, that have helped. Uh, it's just so hard to get into this game sometimes. And they've been behind me and supported me. You know, when I told my mom in high school, I said, Mom, I'm going to become a professional fisherman. You know, she didn't laugh to my face, but I think she <laughs> laughed behind me when I left the room. But now that kind of we've, we've got to this level, you can, I mean, yeah. this is what dreams are made of, just going out there and going fishing. And 
creating goals, having a plan, you know, what do you want to do and just kind of writing it down, you know, jot it on paper. Just, just if you have goals, write it down, make a plan. And I can promise you, you can get there. Well, I only got compared to Emily once while we were fishing. I suppose that's pretty good. <laughs> you got compared to Gettysho a couple times. <laughs> oh, I, knew his, I knew his name was going to come up. Actually, I got oh, okay. I got slammed because I, I was worried. I told Patrick, I said, all I want to do is really go out and catch a fish. And he said, wait a minute, you're not talking to Gettys here. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was putting the pressure on me. He said, I just want to catch one. That's right. I, oh, man. And Santee in the springtime. You it's, knew. When the fish are everywhere and they're on the bank, I knew. knew. I hadn't been out there in about two and a half weeks, but I knew we were going to catch them. Absolutely, we did. Well, look, Patrick, I appreciate you donating some of your time to me. Um, be careful on the road. We'll uh, we'll be keeping track of you folks. If you want to keep up with Patrick on the road, at every every tournament, you can go to Bassmaster.com, watch live um, updates, and like I said, he'll have pictures every night, bass supplies and pictures, so keep up with social media. Uh, you got a good website out there, Patrick. You want to give that to us, too? Definitely. It's actually just PatrickWaltersFishing.com. And that's Patrick Walters Fishing. That's my Instagram and my Facebook page. And uh, I can't thank you guys enough for all the support and following along. And a tight line. Hopefully we can have a great rest of the season on the second swing. South Carolina's been blessed with a bunch of good fishermen. And we got another another young crowd coming along with you and Brandon uh, luckily, Geddes has gotten into his line of work that suits him best, running his mouth. And uh, it's, it's, it's worked out good for all of us. But, Patrick, thank you, sir. And uh, anytime you want to come back on here, you just let me know. And anytime I want to go fishing, I'll let you know how's that. Definitely. <laughs> hey, I'll be back soon. Thanks, Roger. Thanks, Patrick. Talk to you soon. Welcome back to Woods and Water, South Carolina. We've got a really quick ending here. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Patrick. We uh, we had a great time down on Moultrie catching some bass. That snake really freaked us out, though. <laughs> I, I got the picture, and I looked at the picture, and I'm, I got even more freaked out. But <laughs> luckily, it was a non-venomous snake. After looking at the picture, I determined it had round pupils. Well, speaking of which, what should you do if you come across a snake this year? Here we go. Springtime is the time of the year we all look forward to. The cold winter is behind us, and we can spend more time outdoors in the bright, warm sunshine, but we aren't the only ones enjoying the change in the weather. Snakes are out, and for some, they're terrifying. One of my good friends from high school found a snake skin in her yard, and she freaked out. Look, snakes are just as afraid of you as you are of them. So, humans are one of the numerous predators they encounter, like any wild animal. animal. If a snake feels threatened, it will defend itself. This shouldn't be confused with showing aggression, though. If the snake is left alone, it will eventually leave. There are 38 species of snakes in South Carolina. Only six are venomous, and a lot of them are really good. I mean, if you've got a king snake around your house, you're probably not going to have any copperheads because king snakes will eat a copperhead. So if you see a snake, just give it some space. Enjoy it from a distance. And that's it for this week. I'll uh, be back next week with something to figure that out this week. It's the beauty of this show. There's always a lot going on in the outdoors in South Carolina. So, look, make time to get out there. Take the back roads when you can. Don't forget your camera. Back next week with more Woods and Water, South Carolina.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.